Welcome, everyone, to episode 239 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Kelton, and on this week's episode, we're talking about the seventh live-action entry in the Transformers film franchise, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. But before we dig into that, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing? I am doing good, Scott. Uh, Apart from seeing the beasts rise, it was a pretty chill weekend here uh, for me in Charlotte, which sometimes is needed. Got to catch up on some errands and stuff like that. But I have to say, I have to throw it to you because normally I am the person who comes on here and is talking about the accomplishments or usually lack thereof of my favorite sports teams. But in this instance, you happen to have quite a significant accomplishment in that area to, to boast about. Indeed, yes. So our, our long, uh, I can't say national nightmare because there's not, you know, it's not a national team. But Manchester City, the, the soccer team I support, did manage to complete the treble yesterday afternoon or last night if you were in Istanbul with the team. But yeah, we had been in the Champions League final before. It was our first Champions League win. Uh, only the second English team to complete the treble. First time since Manchester United in 1999. It was a while ago. Um, but yeah, just crazy. I was texting you both before and during the game. And even though I felt more confident in the team this year, and I, and I genuinely thought that we were going to do it, I don't think I would have been more nervous for a game. Even the final two years ago when we were playing Chelsea, I wasn't as nervous, even though we lost that one. But yeah, I don't know, crazy. Um, I feel like there's like a lot in flux with the team right now because so many players like may or may not be going to Saudi Arabia or <laughs> going somewhere else, um, which is a whole separate conversation we could have. But it's nice to, at least for a few days or a couple weeks, uh, sort of just enjoy the fact that we sort of summited the tallest mountain in, in soccer that there is really. So that's really awesome to to have experienced. And the goal is definitely one worth remembering too. It was a nice goal. So yeah, Nothing to say I, was remarking, I was remarking to you that we had the uh, equally stressful games for our soccer clubs mm-hmm. recently, but on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, because my team was trying to avoid relegation, which they did. Um, yeah. And your team was going for the trouble. So, yeah, I mean, who knows uh, where they can go from here? That's that's up. It feels like they've ascended the the yeah. mountain. I guess now they got to try to pass some of the other English teams in terms of you know Champions Leagues or cups or something like that. But they probably they have still still have quite a ways to go to catch Manchester United as far as league titles is concerned. Yeah, I mean, we I guess you could if you're thinking just in the near term. I mean, doing back to back troubles, you could always say that like if we do it again, right? That's that's never been yeah. done before. If we win the Premier League next year, it's the four in a row, which I don't think has been done in the Premier League era. Yeah, I don't um, think so. So I don't, I don't know about anything that happened in English football before 1991 when the Premier League started, but I don't think that's been done in the Premier League era. Yeah. Um, te- technically, we could win a quadruple in England just because we do have two domestic cup competitions. And a couple of years ago when we were playing Chelsea, there was talk about whether we could do a quadruple um, because we lost in, in the final of the FA Cup and the final or the semifinals of the FA Cup and the final of the Champions League. But we had won the League Cup that year and we won the Premier League. So it, there's always talk around that time. Probably did ourselves a favor by losing to Southampton in the, in the League Cup this year to not have quadruple discourse happening to us. But I mean, still, the fact that this team was resilient enough to withstand all the trouble conversations and also, I mean, put together with an, an incredible end of the season to catch Arsenal in the Premier League to be our rivals in the FA Cup final, Manchester United. And then, you know, not the stiffest competition on paper, I'd say, for the Champions League final, but the fact that we went through Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and then grinded out, you know, a, a worthy victory over, although not currently a legendary Champions League club, but a historically legendary Champions League club in Inter Milan. So, yeah, it, it's hard to say that, can next season really be better? I mean, of course it always can be better, but the the sort of the emotional delta between last night and what what we could accomplish next season, even in the greatest possible sense, seems not as large as what came before. Maybe someday I will know even some fraction of the glory that your your teams have known here, your team has known here. 
in the last few years with one of mine, but uh, yeah. I'm not. I mean, you've that. had you've had emotional highs the last two seasons of which I'd probably never had until last night, right? <laughs> right. I mean, the FA Cup final. I mean, and I, I say that that's not even true though because we won the Premier League on the last day, having been two goals down to Aston Villa. So it's not mm-hmm. like that hasn't happened recently. But you know, you're getting a regular dose of adrenaline every year. It's not boring for you, for better or for yeah. worse. Yeah, no, the, the Furman win and everything was was pretty sure. pretty yeah, high up awesome. there. Maybe even number one moment for me. So, and you know, as as much as you do come on here and talk about Tennessee, Everton, Furman, as the school that you went to, you know, like you have the, probably the closest connection of all. To yeah, them. and just the the Under journey God. of that yeah. team of having gone through a lot of suffering for many years and them coming so close and losing in heartbreaking ways, and then not only to make it to the tournament, but to then pull off a, a win that I feel they they deserved and you know again was such a cathartic moment at the end of you know this long period was um, you know that's why you watch sports and that's why sure. you stay invested in these teams and stuff absolutely now we're a full season just baseball right just baseball left Wait. yeah uh, we're gonna be in the dog days of summer and that usually just means baseball um, Tennessee currently still alive in the uh, NCAA tournament, and uh, and of course the Guardians are guardianing and guardianing it gardening. right now. So <laughs> they're gardening in, in their backyard. Um, yeah, you know the the Braves had a strong start to the season. They got a little weak in the middle, but now they're on a seven game win streak. So June's a big June was a big month for them last year, and looking like it could be a big month for them this year too. So that's cool, I guess. Yeah, no, the Braves are are doing very well. Just destroyed the Mets. Uh, which I know Braves fans always always look forward to that. So uh, things are, are looking up for them, and the Guardians have been playing a little better. So Also, Acuna is just unbelievable. To actually have really him for is. the full season this year, he's just incredible. He's definitely the equivalent of what Jose Ramirez is to the Guardians, uh, for sure. To the All right. Well, I think that should do it for our episode of uh, So Much. Yeah. <laughs> should we wrap things up? Just kidding. As I already mentioned, this week's discussion, actual review discussion, is going to be centered around Transformers Rise of the Beast, directed by Creed II Helmer, Stephen Capel Jr., and adapted primarily from the Beast Wars storyline. Rise of the Beast functions as a standalone sequel to Bumblebee and prequel to the original 2007 Transformers film. The good news is that none of that really matters because though the familiar figures of Optimus Prime and Bumblebee may be present. The continuity of the other films seemingly takes the back seat. The prologue shows us the home world of an advanced race of beast-like Cybertronian robots called the Maximals, being conquered by the planet-eating dark god called Unicron, voiced by Coleman Domingo. His army of Terracons and Predacon Scorpions led by Scourge, voiced by Peter Dinklage, seeks to obtain a device possessed by the Maximals called the Transwarp Key, which would allow Unicron to traverse time and space devouring all planets in the known universe in the process. Optimus Primal, voiced by Ron Perlman, and several Maximals escape with the Transwarp Key and land on Earth. Fast forward to 1994, Brooklyn, and we meet ex-military electronics expert Noah Diaz, played by Anthony Ramos, a New York native struggling to support his mother and ailing little brother. When a neighborhood friend of his convinces him to do a job where he steals a Porsche 911, Noah is thrust into the world of Cybertronians, as he discovers this Porsche is actually an Autobot in disguise named Mirage, voiced by Pete Davidson. Mirage, with Noah in the driver's seat, is summoned by Optimus Prime, voiced by the infamous Peter Cullen, when Prime sees that a Cybertronian device, that is, the Transwarp key now on Earth, has been activated in a museum by a brilliant museum intern, Elena Wallace, played by Dominique Fishback. Racing to get to the device, Prime, Mirage, Bumblebee, and RC, played by Liza Koshy, aren't the only ones who've sensed the device as Scourge and the Unicron minions also arrive, setting the Autobots on a race against time to prevent the Transwarp key from falling into the wrong hands. Scott, I'll stop there. You've made it widely known that you are not up to date on the Transformers franchise, but did you find this entry to be an approachable and enjoyable adaptation of one of the more famous Transformers story arcs, or would you rather Unicron have made it through the space-time continuum and devoured this world and all the others? Uh, I mean, I feel I almost feel bad for even reviewing this, right? Because I just sure. have no base whatsoever when it comes to Transformers. I've seen no films in the series before this. You've um, really never seen the original 2007 Transformers film? 
That's that's no. kind of crazy to me. I feel like that was just like that was such a big movie in 2007. Yeah, no interest in it. Sure, I guess sure. I wasn't obviously going to the movies nearly as much back then as I do now. But, <laughs> you you weren't um, you weren't catching one or two every week. In the no, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, shockingly, I wasn't. But yeah. yeah, you know this this sort of thing just has never been never captured my interest. The idea of big robots fighting each other does pretty much nothing for me. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to, to review it because, um, sure. you know, I feel like I'm somebody who's, you know, coming in to a series. You're not the target it, audience. It's like, I've seen somebody recently who watched fast X and it was their first fast and furious film. It's like, why would you like choose to watch fast X as the first one? Uh, you know, why would yeah. I choose rise? I mean, obviously the answer is because of this podcast but that's not really a good answer um and yeah you know so my my review is simply going to come as somebody judging this for what it is which is the seventh film like you said although technically it, it doesn't seem to be connected to the bay films really from what i understand and there's more connected only to bumblebee it's not even really connected to bumblebee either though there's not a single yeah. character from bumblebee in the, in this movie Except for so. Bumblebee, but <laughs> maybe, yeah. Is he a character? I guess he technically is a character. Doesn't have a voice actor, so <laughs> that's strange. Um, but yeah, um, y- you know. So, but so I take everything I'm going to say with a grain of salt. I guess is what I'm saying because maybe this is really good, right? If you're a Transformers person, maybe it is. Um, I know that during the last 15 minutes of this movie, my theater was going wild. Honestly, at certain points, like. More so than in Marvel movies and stuff that I've seen recently, like it was one of the more hype theaters that I've seen in a little bit. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, which I was really kind of confused by, but um, a lot of it had to do with with the character of Bumblebee. Um, really, but interesting. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, um, and, and I will say the guy next sitting next to me did ask me. He was there with his wife, and he was he was just talking to me before the movie. I was like, you know, are you a Transformers fan? And I had to explain to him that no, I had not seen any Transformers. Stuff and he was life. like, I don't know why you've chosen to come to see this movie. He's like, oh man, you got to check them out. Got to check them out. Got to um, check them out. You're a big Bayhead man. I can't believe you've never seen any of them. He was a fan, and some of the other people in the theater clearly were too. But. All that aside, Scott, I didn't enjoy the film. Um, You know, I was kind of hoping, honestly, to have an experience like I had with Dungeons and Dragons earlier this year, right? Which is, I went in, I knew that I was not really going to love that film. It's just not in my my wheelhouse at all. It's connected to something that I have no connection to and no understanding or knowledge about. Um, And in the end, I believe my comment was that it was the best version, I think, that... To, to me, to somebody like me, it was mm-hmm. about as much as I was ever going to enjoy that film. Um, I think there's probably a version of Transformers that I would have enjoyed more than this. I mean, I don't know if much more, again, because it's just not not for me. But this film, to me, had a lot of issues. Um, and it wasn't just, at least from my perspective, it wasn't just my unfamiliarity with the um, with the Transformers source material. I mean, I think that the human characters are not very interesting at all, despite being played by very charismatic actors in Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback. Um, I think that the plot is very MacGuffin heavy, which, you know, is not necessarily, again, for me, it was not actually necessarily a terrible thing because I was worried that I was going to have to know all of this lore and everything going in. And you, you know, there are some moments of it. I mean, even the first, the first five minutes of the movie, I was like, oh no, like I'm going to be completely lost during this entire thing. Um, but you're not because it's like, oh, we have to stop, you know, the bad guy from getting this key, right? Which is going to allow him to go back to the other world and whatever the, the trans, the trans warp key trans warp key yeah and there's two parts of it right of course there is they, they split it in two a genuinely funny scene when you discover that there are two parts yeah. of the key though that was funny because they get the key in like the first 30 minutes and it's like uh-oh well we're screwed well nope just kidding because we have to have a two-hour movie so you fool there's another just coleman part. domingo booming you fool yeah yeah um Very funny. but yeah so i was just kind of bored and unengaged i mean 
again, the action does boil down to a lot of robots fighting each other, um, which mm-hmm. has a very minimal impact on me and, and is not something that really holds my interest a lot. I, I, you know, and that, that maybe is the area where not being familiar with the source material hurt me the worst because I don't have any sort of emotional connection to Optimus Prime or Bumblebee or any of these. Others. I think those are the two familiar ones. The two I mean, legacy like, characters, I guess. Yeah. That, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure that all these characters exist in the animated series in one way yeah, or, I know or another. Barrage, I'm not, definitely. I'm not familiar with it, but I mean, in terms of other movies, I haven't seen all the Transformers movies, but the ones that I'm familiar with and like Prime and Bumblebee are like in this movie are the ones that are like familiar to me. Yeah. And I know Mirage, like I know, is a character, like you were saying, in Transformers, but, you know, I guess hasn't shown up in the franchise thus far. Yeah, I'm sure RC is, too. I just don't, I don't think that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not, it's not, you know, it's not Megatron or Starscream or like any of the iconic Decepticons or whatever, which is fine. Um, But anyway, Scott, the cast, again, is, is fine, but nobody's really given super engaging characters. And then, you know, we get to the end of the movie and it's the same BS that we're seeing with about every other franchise. It's it's almost like Quantumania ending in a way where they're like, we get to the end the the battle has, you know, maybe been won. That's the thing. It's just a big maybe. They're just like, okay, well, what happens next? I don't know if we even did anything, right? Like we... We uh we've stopped things for the time being, but Unicron can always return. Scourge can always return. Evil is never vanquished, right? And then well, Scourge well, seems pretty cooked, but uh, yeah, Uni- yeah, Unicron yeah. is is a different story. But again, sure. nobody's cooked. Like you think that three different characters in this movie are cooked at various times in the oh, film, sure. and all of them are back by the end. But yeah. then, and then you know you have the last five minutes where. I mean, I don't guess we have to spoil it yet, but basically we have the franchise tie-in to another franchise, and yeah. this is the path forward with this. And so uh-huh. it just comes off as another sort of one of these cog-in-the-machine type franchise movies where it is not serving any purpose except to give us maybe some nostalgia moments for, for the big Transformer heads and then to set up whatever is next, right? Which is now a crossover and presumably more and more movies um sure where the st- i mean the, there's just no stakes right it just doesn't feel like there's any sort of stakes with this movie like you could uh-huh. you could just completely skip over this movie i think when all is said is said and done and you're not going to miss anything in terms of the overarching story yeah i definitely think that's true i look i i was the, the whole human character angle, I was like, okay, Anthony Ramos, Dominique Fishback. We're like cooking with like, you know, Haley Steinfeld territory of like, set the Bay films aside. We're not getting Shia. We're not getting Marky Mark in here anymore. Like we're going to, we're going to get like more interesting people, frankly, to be in these, to, to lead these movies. And I thought Haley, Ste- like I saw Bumblebee back in 2018. I thought Haley Steinfeld was great in that film. I thought that movie overall was really, really good. Um, again, I've only seen like, I didn't see any of the Mark Wahlberg Transformers movies, but I think I saw all the other ones besides those, um, in the original run of the, of the films before Bumblebee. And, and we know Stephen Capel Jr. can direct a sequel also. Yeah. Oh, he's only directed. Great, that's his, the only other movie he's directed. Um, but that was a great movie. I mean. Yeah. I, yes. It, a different beast with Stallone and Michael B. Jordan on set who like it. I mean, who knows? He was a capable set of hands for that movie, which was very good for sure. Sure. Um, I found this film to be, this is not Stephen Cable Jr.'s fault. The characters were just like big, like Dominique Fishback. If I asked you to describe Dominique Fishback as a character, I don't know anything about her. I don't know anything at all about her. Museum. She's from Brooklyn or something. Yeah. She really loves Brooklyn. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like I couldn't tell you a single thing about the character um other than she was this brilliant intern and anthony ramos they like give his character a, a reasonable setup by the way when uh, laura luna velez starts luna, talking to this movie i'm like oh my god i did not expect <laughs> to see to hear she's this everybody's mom now. i know she's everybody's yeah. mom nowadays i did i did think about my letterbox review being like can't believe that guy forgot to bring home a cake when he showed up on time <laughs> but um anyway 
I yeah that that shocked me. But they set up this art. They set up the like stakes for his character, and it just feels like there's like nothing. There's just nothing going on in that character after like the first. The little brother is such is rough. I mean the yeah the the walkie talkie conversation that they have towards the end of the movie where Uh he starts giving him this like inspirational speech was painful. (laughs) I was cringing hard during that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dean Scott Velas- then, Dean Scott Vasquez plays the kid. Yeah, not to do, not to derail the point, but, but then it basically he just like, from what I understand, is like Anthony Ramos turns into a transformer, right? No like, idea what happened. Yeah, no idea what happened. He becomes Iron Man. Basically, is what happens. Like, sure. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I I don't understand what happened there. I don't understand how this is happening in 1994. Why is Shia not a Transformer in 2007? Why has it never happened seemingly in yeah, anything yeah, yeah, else? Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, look, I'm sure that there's precedent for it in in the animated series or whatever. Like, I I am sure it exists, but I was just like, what is happening in this movie? I just thought that there was it was an unbelievable level of like I am totally checked out of this film. But here here's the thing, and I think this is maybe this is the point. Like this this movie, it's a bad movie. It, it is a bad movie, but like I just like wasn't bothered by it. It's just like so hard. It's just like such a harmless film. Like. I I wouldn't have spent my own like I, obviously with our A list like I'm I'm paying twenty five dollars a month to AMC either way and what else am I gonna do on a Friday night I would not I wouldn't mad if I paid my own money per ticket on this film and I would not have enjoyed it but like I'm sitting there in the theater I'm like this movie's under two hours and like nothing Actually, I'm not I'm not offended by this film it's just like it's not good it's just not good but it's like fine interesting that your article or not your article geez your theater was so into it. My theater, which I'm lucky enough to go to, <clears throat> again, a, a pretty highly sought after IMAX theater in New York. So, like, everything that I go to on opening weekend is, like, usually a sold out. Man, I walked into this theater on Friday night, and this thing was, like, half sold. And I'm like, this movie is so so done. If you're not selling out the IMAX screen in New York City for your movie, like, you're yeah. you're so cooked. Like, Bo's Afraid had a sold out screen when I saw it. Like, <laughs> I know that's, like, a niche target audience in New York City, but if you can't do it with Transformers then it does not bode well for the movie overall. And nobody in my crowd was very, like very few people in my crowd were like, we're hyped, we're hyped for this thing. I had sort of a very lackluster theater experience where I feel like I'm usually the one coming on here talking about how like my crowd was going wild. Like when I saw Moonfall last year, again, that was not a sold out theater, but like people were hooting and hollering and having a great time in Moonfall. Um, But overall, yeah, a, a super underwhelming film. Like, the, I thought some of the action was good earlier on, but like everything once once the once Scourge has both parts of the of the transwarp key and they're fighting on top of the volcano, just like blah. Just just blah. Yeah, I mean, I mostly agree with you about it being harmless. It's just again, the ending of the movie really sure, like sure, yeah. Rubs me the wrong way, and it's it's going to you know it's just furthering. I mean, we were just talking about it last week with Spider Verse, and uh-huh. you know, again, maybe some of my anxieties, not necessarily about Spider Verse specifically, but about it doing right. something similar to what everyone everything else is doing, and this movie just right away the following week, you know, kind of doing the same thing with hitting us with not not as blatant of a to be continued, but in its own way, it is a to be continued. Um, and it's just going to lead to the market getting saturated with this sort of thing and every franchise feeling like the way to keep up and to, you know, capture audiences is to never, never let anyone come to any true harm, right? Never let there be any sort of stakes in, in the films and to mash this up with some other sort of, you know, IP into a you know mishmash that's going to capture all these various sects of fans I guess yeah when we can just go ahead and talk about talk about that um in my theater when this is like the first credit scene this is like I guess like right before the credits I don't know they he's like going to interview for this job it's mimicking a scene at the beginning of the film when he's going to interview for a security job and Michael Kelly who I couldn't remember if he'd been in a Transformers. Like, I wasn't sure exactly, like, what this was setting up at first. I was like, is this going to be, like, Sector 7 or what? Like, whatever. Like, there's some, like, government organization that John Turturro's character is, like, a part of in in Mm. the original, in, like, the 2007 run of Transformers movies. And I was like, oh, is this, like, 
was Michael Kelly like one of the other people in that group that I just don't remember or what? And like the end of the scene, he goes to this interview, he reveals to him that he's like actually a part of this a secret government organization that has been watching him or whatever and wants to recruit him. And at the end, I'm like, okay, this is, like some sector, card. this is yeah. some sector seven thing. He hands him a business card though. And Anthony Ramos right before the credits well, flips it over and says GI Joe on it. And I was like, everyone in my theater was howling, but like not cheering. They were just like, Oh my God. Yeah. And, and that, what I said to you, Scott was even though my theater was going crazy during certain parts of the movie, there was yeah. like no reaction to the GI Joe. Cause who cares about GI yeah. Joe yeah. nowadays? I mean, I saw Snake Eyes. Snake, I saw Snake Eyes a couple like a years bomb? ago. And... Wasn't Snake Eyes a bomb? Like, yeah, box it, was, bomb. it was a bomb. Yeah, yeah. But it was and also I mean, like did, it was early. Or it was like early 2020. It was like yeah. first half 2021. So I think did there's the an asterisk next to that. But did the old GI Joe movies with Channing Tatum like did they do that well? Like, I'd have to go look. They probably made a ton of money. They probably did. Yeah, yeah. we would probably be appalled if we looked at it. But um, I mean, again, nobody is asking for this. Like. Even this theater of diehard Transformers fans that I was in, apparently, nobody had any sort of reaction to this. This is just Hasbro vomiting on itself, like seriously. Yeah, sure. I mean that that is that is kind of what it is. I think yeah. So, GI Joe: Rise of Cobra. I don't. It was I think that was that was the second one. What was I the think. first one? I think that was the first one. No, Retaliation was the second one, I think. Yeah, yeah Retaliation was the sequel, I think. G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra made $300 million global, so not that good, to be honest. That was, like, 2009. Yeah. And then Retaliation made $375 million in 2015. But, I mean, we don't even know. Do we actually know that this is going to feature Henry Golding Snake Eyes, or are they just going to reboot oh, this whole thing again? No, I, I, I don't know that that is true. I think Snake yeah. Eye is, like, set in the present day, so... Unless they're like, this is going to be presumably a sequel would be set in the 90s like this movie is. So I don't actually know. Um, I also don't think I don't know if Snake Eyes is like technically in the same continuity as like Retaliation and Rise of Cobra. Like it might be yeah. like a prequel or something like that. I don't even know. I need to go look it up. Snake Eyes. Well, now we're all the way in, man. I got to look it up now. The point is like. This is just going to keep happening. And this feels like a particular, particularly shameless example of it. Again, not only just with the, the way that the plot resolves itself, but then with this little stinger here at the end. This this is not even in the credit. Like, this is before the credits hit. So, like... Right, yeah, because the credits... This is part was... of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the credits scene is, you know, again, furthering the problem is Mirage, who we thought died like twice and, in the film yeah turns yeah. out oh no everything's good we're all laughing again pete davidson's back everybody America's we haven't talked about that pete yet Scott. i did not look at the cast list before going to see this movie <laughs> and i often think pete davidson is like he's just like a he's just like a walking meme right and he like knows yeah. that and god i hated i hated pete davidson in this movie <laughs> like i really did and he probably yeah, has the I most mean, lines of anyone. That's the sad part. He's a comic relief character. I will say that one thing which I didn't hate was that, you know, unlike something like Guardians of the Galaxy, which I have commented on before, where I just, just everyone is um, is funny, right? Like everyone is cracking jokes. Like that's just one of the problems I have with it. You know, there's at least a little bit of a balance among the Transformers. Like Optimus Prime is deadly serious about everything. Um, yes, indeed. That is definitely his vibe. Uh, and you have Bumblebee, right? Who doesn't even say anything really? But um, he just speaks through uh, like voice recordings that he's recorded in the past. That's that's his whole thing. Yeah, it's of like movie, movie, quotes. movie quotes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there was at least a little bit of a dynamic which I was like not completely turned off by. But I, yes, do, I, I do think the Bumblebee like movie character. quotes thing is so cringe though at times, like it's pretty brutal. Yeah, for different reasons. Especially because, like, I mean, I guess it's it's not supposed to be the actual clip from the movie, right? Or is it? Like, because I was going to say, like, there's when he appears, when he comes back, mm -hmm. there's a quote where I was like, oh, that sounds like the real movie clip of that. But then earlier on, when he says you can't handle the truth, like there's no way that that was Jack Nicholson 
voice. I think I think that. it might be the actual clip from the film, but like got like put through like some sort of like yeah. auto tune to make it sound like coming out of a 1990s car radio. I don't know. Yeah. So we we started we really sort of dived in all over the place on this film already. The cast, though, I, I mean, I, I sort of gave my thoughts on like un, how unbelievably non-existent the characters are for Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback. Did their performances inject any life into these characters for you at all? Um, maybe a little bit in the case of Anthony Ramos, but not so much in the case of Dominic Fish- Fishback, mainly because of what you're saying. Of they're just she is given absolutely nothing here, and that's a shame because. I have wanted her to have a, a big break. I mean, I thought she was, you know, fantastic in Judas and the Black Messiah. Even that Netflix film that she was in with Jamie Foxx was probably, she was the best part of that movie. Is that Project Power? That yes, called? that's the name of it, Project yeah. Power. Uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt wearing a Saints jersey. Um, yep, <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing I remember about that movie. But she was good in it. I remember her, she, her character was like a rapper. She got to like rap and stuff like that. It, she she was very charismatic in that movie and now she gets sort of a big you know potential opportunity here with the franchise movie and yeah i think you summed it up perfectly like you just can't can't tell me anything about this character like it's it's a complete nothing character anthony ramos you know has a little more to do and so i guess he's the stronger performance um you know i do think again i do think he's charismatic he obviously showed off how talented he was in in the heights um and i have no doubt he'll make good stuff in the future but this just wasn't it and yeah his his arc is pretty tired involving his sick brother and you know his his family that he has to to protect and support um and He's, you know, losing out on these job opportunities because of something that happened to him in the military. Was it ever clear exactly what happened? Why his commanding officer or something had basically blackballed him? Yeah, something like he was untrustworthy. I don't know. Maybe they explained it, but I've forgotten already if they did. Yeah, I don't remember either. All I remember is the scene of him going to the security place and the guy basically saying, oh, well, we, you know, you were perfect for the job until we contacted your, Super, you know. Yeah, your, your commanding officer or whatever. And he told us X, Y, Z. But it's not like there was a specific incident or something that I recall. Uh, it's just like, oh, he said that you were lazy or something like that. And, like, I feel like that's not really consistent with the character that we see for the rest of the movie so it, it boiled down weird. to like basically he was distracted because he was trying to take care of his brother i, th- I think the the gist of it was that yeah. like he was prioritizing okay. his brother over over whatever his role was or something like that i don't know yeah um that is very true i think that's probably what it was but anyway it's it's a very half-assed backstory it's a very half-assed character arc to say the least but he has a character arc again unlike Dominique Fishback's character on like Elena. Yeah. I think the, I kind of feel the same way as you. Like that's, I was even saying it a little bit earlier, just like you see Anthony Ramos and you see Dominique Fishback on this cast list. And at least for me, that's probably not going to do much for the average person, but for someone like you and I, like I see that and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. This is, this is like casting Haley Steinfeld and Bumblebee for me. But yeah, unlike with Haley Steinfeld, whose character, I think her name was Charlie in that film. They are not given much to work with, if anything at all, like exactly like you said. And yeah, somehow the the charisma alone can't make up for that. I'm not even sure they have a lot of charisma together, strangely enough. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know what was going on. I also had this phenomenon switching gears talking about the the voice acting here when, you know, you got Pete Davidson, Peter Cullen. Um, you now I mentioned Ron Perlman. Michelle you also have Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh. As Air Razor, who's a maximal hawk, who plays a, a, a large role in the film, I'm not convinced any of these people were in the recording booth together. And I and I know that that is like not maybe a foreign concept in in voice recording. It is not always true. Schedules don't always align where everyone's going to be in the booth at the same time. But like, I'm not convinced that like anyone was in the booth with Pete Davidson. I think he was just cooking by himself in the voice booth, um, gassing like Peter- himself up. Peter Cullen, there's just no way 
there's just no way he and Pete Davidson were in the recording booth together when they were having scenes where they were talking. It, it like the pitch of their voices sounded like they were in completely different environments <laughs> than each other. It was so strange. Um, and yeah, I did not was not a fan of Pete Davidson. In this I, I sort of I like Pete Davidson and some things. I mean, like bodies, bodies, bodies last year, like that film understood the persona of Pete Davidson and used it effectively as sort of like almost like, again, a meme. But so many other films like this one are trying to like almost I think of him almost as like Aquafina, Scott, like honestly, like like they have very specific personas yeah. about them and films either want to use that as like a wink and a nod to you about how isn't this funny how this guy is like kind of a joke. And then there are movies like this one and like the little mermaid with Aquafina who are like, yeah, we know what this guy's shtick is. And here you go. Have two hours of it and have fun with it. Uh, and I just was not having fun with it, to be honest. Yeah, you're not far off with that. I think, you know, I think people like Peter Cullen, like it's understandable why he's played Optimus Prime for a while now. Oh, like, yeah. The gravitas of that is. Yeah. Is there, and I mean, sure. again, Ron Perlman, it seems like a very just on the nose casting for I mean, he has that gravelly, you know, big voice. for. He has the Optimus voice of a Western Primal. lowland gorilla. Yes, he does. Um, and Coleman Domingo, you know, he has one of those voices too. Although it's not so easy to recognize his voice, as you no, know. No, they they have put that through an auto tuner for sure to give that yeah. sort of crackly bass. So some of the other voice cast is is fine, but yes, I I wouldn't be surprised if you are correct in the whole they were not together in the in the yeah. What, what did you what did you think of the Dink Peter Dinklage? Sure. I mean, yeah. I, Peter Dinklage is, is great, but, you know, this doesn't really give him the opportunity to show off anything. It's really funny because um, not to take us down a huge a huge side tangent, but I guess I will, because what else is there to talk about in this movie? Um, so Peter Dinklage played played a character in, in the original video game called Destiny. I don't know if you are you familiar with Destiny, Scott, at all? Like yeah, what the, what the game, game is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like now there's like Destiny 2 and it's obviously one of the biggest games made by the same creators of uh, Halo franchise, things like that before they split off from Microsoft. And the, Peter Dinklage is famous in Destiny for playing like the sort of like sidekick character for the first few years of the game. But like something happened with his contract in that movie. And he sent and his the name of the character is called Ghost and it's just a little robot that flies around. And he's like your like narrator basically. And um he's like like he is like famous for just having people people believe me he just like completely phoned it in so much so that they they like edited him out of the game and like re-recorded voice lines and someone else someone else's voice become ghost over time which is like so funny and he sounds exactly the same in this as scourge as he did as ghost it's just like this mm-hmm. robot like he's trying to do this like a robotic synthetic voice obviously there's some element of like auto-tuning to it as well to synthesize it and things like that but like the voice like that is actually how I recognize immediately it was Peter Dinklage. I'm like, this is this is Peter Dinklage because of this. It was like so funny because he's like renowned and hated within that franchise for like completely phoning it in as that character. And it's just very funny now that all, all I heard was that voice in Scourge. <laughs> I think that he's probably not phoning in in this role, but it's not like there's a lot to do either. I mean, when he's getting like tortured by Unicron, it's just like kind of the funny one of the funniest things that happens in the movie. Yeah, uh, phoning it in is just a good way to describe this whole thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's probably other characters to talk about. We haven't really talked too much about, about the action. You noted that a lot of it is bland, and I would definitely agree towards the end of the film when they're on top of the volcano and all that's happening. Like That is just a mess. That is a total mess. I do think some of the stuff earlier on is more interesting than that, um, which is a shame because I think the, the beast the maximals themselves i think because it's different than the rest of the transformers again maybe this doesn't as pl- apply as much to you not as having not watched any other films in the franchise but the fact that there are these sort of like animal like robots as opposed to cars or whatever that like that seems interesting to me in the way that like oh it's cool when like the mcu brings a new fighting style like when there's like shang chi when you have like kung fu or whatever in the film is something different but it's a shame that like the most interesting set pieces themselves come really before you meet any of the Maximals. And 
that's just like a real bummer because they have like a they what do they have? They have like a, a cheetah, they got a hawk, they got a gorilla. Man, they got they got a they got a rhino. Man, what what are they doing? They're, they like get those animals on the screen. They're like, let's throw the but, let's throw them into the volcano. Well, yeah, I mean, even still, it just amounts to a lot of big things crashing into each other. Even whether it's animals, whether it's robots, you know, sure, whatever it may be, it just it devolves into just a mishmash of stuff. Yeah. I don't disagree. I mean, you know, like the, some of the more grounded stuff, like the car chase and and stuff like that, is. Mm-hmm. pretty well done i mean i do think there's something vaguely satisfying about watching the transformers like transform oh, yeah, yeah um, for sure for sure for sure yeah but um you know so those are those are some of the highlights i guess of of the action but um i want to be able to to care about characters at the heart of the action and i never did so that was that was tough to get over yeah it's I just don't know how much more there is to say about this movie besides that. I mean, there's like there's New York and then, and then they go to South America and Peru. And for a second, I guess it was cool as they sort of go on this sort of like Indiana Jones, Indiana. They even like self-reference it, too, which made me want to slam my head against the chair in front of me. And they're like, oh, this is some Indiana Jones shit. Or didn't didn't they say that in the movie? Am I making that yeah, up? Yeah, they did. OK, they yeah. Did. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was like vaguely interesting for a second, but they speed through that so quickly that there was never really there was barely a sense of adventure for very long in the film um that's probably my favorite scene in the in the movie honestly is like when they're going through the city in peru or whatever and they're on top and they're trying to like decipher the puzzle on top of the i don't know the church or whatever wherever they're at and they're going through the tunnels to find the crypt like that was like vaguely that was something where i was like okay i like the vibes here the vibes are good now i'm into it but unfortunately it just didn't last and then they had the car chase. Like then they had the car chase to sort of round out that sequence, and then it didn't last much longer than that. And like pretty much from there on out, like most of the film is like not super engaging. I think after that, which is unfortunate. So again, like it's not like the film is not good. But at the same time, like at the end of the movie, I'm just like, I'm not. I'm just like I can't take this seriously enough to be bothered by it either. You know, I guess just going back to that point. So uh, very lackluster film. I would not recommend it. I think is what I would say. Scott, is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap things up, or should we? It's not often that I don't have things to say about the movies that we we talk about, uh, so maybe people will forgive me in this instance. But uh, yeah, I I really just have nothing nothing much to offer here. It was just it was a completely forgettable, disposable experience from a viewing perspective, and it seems like there was something disposable about the way it was created. Also, yeah. Just like incredibly convenient plot devices too, like oh, we need to fly to South America. Let's call in our Autobot, who's a plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> and then like oh, like we we need to f- we 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 lost the second half of the transwarp key, or we have the second half of the transwarp key. We haven't activated it, but all of a sudden, all the Maximals have found us. What? How did they, they just found you all of a sudden for what? How? Yeah. Uh, if I had to try and, and describe back everything that happens in the plot chronologically in this, I'm not sure that I could do it in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's un- unfortunate. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, uh, that, that is how it is, I suppose. Yeah. Because, because you say that and I'm thinking back and it's like, yeah, how did they like get linked up with the Maximals? And I honestly can't even remember. Well, yeah. So, so Air Razor finds that like comes, it was Air Razor was like the last maximal alive of her of her group, and comes when the first half of the transwarp key is activated, which makes sense because like all the robots can sense when the like know when the trans can see the transwarp key activated, so like that actually made sense. And she's like, I don't know where the other half of the group is because we split up when we got to Earth and like separated the key, and I don't even know where to find them. And then like Dominique Fishback is like, I read a book and it looks like these symbols are in Peru. Yeah, and they go to yeah. Peru, but like once they're in Peru, like the transwarp keys never activated. Like, how do yeah. the other maximal? Like, how does Optimus Primal and like Cheetor and like whatever the other ones are called, like find them just randomly in the forest? Like, Movie I don't even magic. know. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I know that they're like fighting the scourge and all, and and the different is it Terracons or whatever they're called. But is that 
I mean, maybe that's the answer, but it's just like, it doesn't seem like that's really enough, you know? I don't know. I definitely don't know. Yeah, cool. All right. Should we, like, yeah, let's just wrap things up here. Okay, Every, favorite scene or moment from Rise of the Beasts? Uh, I mean, I guess just because I love a good theater moment, theater reaction moment, uh -huh. um, when Bumblebee returns, right? Even though it's stupid. Man, you're Bumblebee picking, uh, <laughs> I cannot believe well, you're picking this scene. Well, again, I'm not picking it because I thought it was particularly good. I don't think anything in this movie is particularly good. But uh -huh. uh, my favorite moment was the theater reaction to it because I like a good theater reaction. But, um, And he like drops out of the sky set to LL Cool J's yeah. Mama Said Knock You Out. Uh, yeah. which is a song that I love. So maybe that was part of it too. But, and you know, my, my theater went crazy at that part. Um, so. Did you like the nineties needle drops in general in the film? They were so obvious, honestly, it's like, yeah. you know, they chose cream at the start of the movie. You know, Wu-Tang, we hear juicy. We hear the notorious B.I.G. Um, mm -hmm. We hear again, mama said, knock you out. Like they didn't even go for any deep cuts really. It, it felt like the same thing that they were trying to do in air. With like well, I was going to say, you, you have 80s. to know. They have to make sure that you know that you're in the 90s. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. But yeah, the, the soundtrack was pretty. I mean, the songs are all great that they chose, of course, but they're just like the most basic choices. Sure. Sure. Yeah. For me, I just said my favorite scene a few minutes ago was probably when they were in Peru before they met the Maximals, that sort of sequence when they're going through the city, underground in the caves, and then fighting them on the highway. That, that whole sequence was probably the most engaged I felt in the whole movie. And uh, that was as good as it was going to get in the film too, because by the end there wasn't much interesting happening on the screen. Yeah. I guess to wrap things up before we put scores on it, you were mentioning earlier that three different times you thought like three characters were, or dead. Um, Mir Mirage Bumblebee and Optimus is Optimus the third one you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, that one's not as clear cut, but like, when they're all going he's to he's sacrificing escape. himself though like he is he's, yeah he himself. literally says like oh my sacrifice is their oath or something like this well that, yeah that was ron perlman's character said that somebody yeah. says that yeah. yeah 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 um and so he it, it's there's not really a moment where you think he is dead dead but like there's a moment when it seems like he's going to have to die in order for yeah also that that out. scene was so funny to me because the whole notion that like optimus huge robot yeah. Being being held by transformed Anthony Ramos is just such a silly, <laughs> such a silly concept. <laughs> so silly that he could even hold him for a little bit against this like I don't know, like vortex put like pulling him up into wherever Unicron is. So silly. I like how he comes home at the end too and like his mom, who has not really been a character at all in this, is just like, Oh, I'm so glad you're home or whatever. Like uh-huh it just felt very weird to me like this guy has just like all of a sudden been thrust into this whole robot thing had to save the world or whatever and he just comes home to his mom who's like oh it's so nice to see you back home i'm curious where luna lauren velez's character thought that anthony ramos was during the course of this film i guess that was the part that was weird about it to me because yeah. like we don't know anything i mean like he's communicating with the brother but like the mom is just not there yeah all. you think that you think the brother's spilling the tea on where where noah is <laughs> no i mean yeah. oh well maybe i mean maybe we just, he is. We just have maybe no he's idea. a little twerp yeah. yeah maybe i don't know anyway scott out of 10 what do you go in rise of the beasts i don't know 4.1 oh sure yeah that works <laughs> works for me <laughs> sounds good 4.3 for yeah. me a really lackluster film again I don't hate this movie. I, like, I'm not that bothered by it. It's just not good. It's just like not a good film. Um, would not recommend it. You'd have to you have to be a real Transformers head for me to recommend this film to you. Um, but look, I have a friend at work who really loves Transformers movies and wants specifically wants to go to them because he doesn't want to have to engage with whatever, like whatsoever, with the film that he's watching and wants to just see big things smash against each other. And so I think he's probably going to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, there is plenty of that. So Yeah, there, you get a healthy dosage of that a couple times throughout the movie. All right, that should do it for our discussion of Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be discussing a couple quick updates 
on news items that I believe we've discussed in the past. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As mentioned before the break, we have a couple news items about things we've talked about on the podcast before. The first, although not necessarily a, a directly related to a previous news item, it is related to the film we reviewed last week, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and some of the concerns that you were expressing on the episode about the future and, and how deep down the rabbit hole of of sequels, spinoffs, et cetera, that the Spider-Verse may go, Scott. So why don't you give us an update from Lord and Miller, who gave some interviews this past week? Yeah. Um, so again, we were talking about this last week, or I was talking about it specifically of the future of the Spider-Verse franchise. Where does it go, you know, from here? And some of my anxieties about, you know, it potentially being stretched into oblivion like everything else is nowadays, like the Transformers franchise is nowadays. Yeah. Um, but uh, Lord and Miller have come out with some comments, as Scott noted, um, you know, speaking about Beyond the Spider-Verse, which is the third film in the series, the, and, and they are calling it a trilogy. Um, essentially, this is the story that they have said. We are not going to be involved with this beyond the third film, beyond Beyond the Spider-Verse. The, the story has a beginning, middle, and end. All of the characters have arcs. It's a trilogy. That's it. Um and, you know, again, that is what I was hoping for, what I was talking about last week with, you know, again, my concerns about things going forward is, yes, I want there to be a defined endpoint. I want there to be a time when the, the creators can say, okay, the story has come to an end and this is it. Um, the issue here, Scott, is that this is simply just Lord and Miller saying this, right? This is not Sony that is saying this. And if Sony wants to make more Spider-Verse stuff sans Lord and Miller, then that is within their right to do so. And sure. that that maybe is my biggest fear because Lord and Miller, I think, are, you know, the real geniuses behind all of this. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, creative and talented people that work on this, but um, I'm such a fan of their style. And I think the things I like about Spider-Verse so much, the main things are, you know, Lord and Miller, things um and so to be to be for chris miller was not involved in the making of into the spider-verse it was just phil lord yeah but but lord and miller did do across the spider-verse yes um but regardless you know without their influence and their you know having any sort of role beyond behind the scenes in these movies if there are more and if the films are successful again i still believe they are going to be make more Regardless of what Lord and Miller are saying, yeah, look, we know that um, the spot that there is going to be a the female Spider Verse yeah. spinoff with Gwen and Jessica Drew and um, another character that hasn't been introduced yet. I think we talked about it briefly last week on the podcast. Yeah, but I would be concerned about the future of the franchise if Lord and Miller are not going to be involved or have any sort of role. So. Um, again, we don't know that there are going to be more films beyond Beyond the Spider-Verse, but if it continues with the trend of everything else today, it's reasonable to expect that there will be because they have been very successful. Yeah, I do think it's reasonable to expect that. I think it's just a matter of where those films take place. I think specifically the Lord and Miller interview was they were talking about how the Miles Morales trilogy was like was done, that they were done with that. And... Yeah, like we know that there's going to be a Spider-Gwen, Jessica Drew, and I think it's Silk Spider, Cindy Moon, spinoff that's going to take place. And who knows? Like there's the point is that they could do so many different kinds of spinoffs. And I think it's, it's all about the execution of those, right? We'll see. The hope is that they round out the core story here in Beyond the Spider-Verse and they let that lie as much as you can possibly hope for moving forward. Like maybe Shamik Moore makes a voice cameo and something in the future. I don't know, but like hopefully miles miles Morales of earth 1610 or whatever is like done after that. I don't know. We'll see, but no one's ever truly gone, I guess. <laughs> 
as you've said so many times before. Yeah. No, nobody's ever truly dead. Evil is never vanquished. Yeah, I can't. Well, we we messed up. We didn't talk about how evil you can never truly vanquish. I think evil. I did. Oh, I think did. I did quote that in okay, the beginning. Good. But, I'm yeah, glad that I think that's the, the that's the new version of no one's ever really dead. Yeah, evil can never truly be vanquished. Uh, a, a truly memorable and probably the most memorable quote from from the film, and that not identifiably a Transformers quote, but is endearingly true, enduringly true, I would say, about uh, all franchise filmmaking these days. Yeah, I just had to to laugh when that was said. I was like, well, they just came right out and said it, right? Um, At least they're not hiding the eight ball anymore, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like Lord and Miller are, are in on the third movie, and then their participation will be done. So we'll see how successful spinoffs can be. I mean, you know that they're going to do it. We Again, we know that some exist already. And I think it's just about being creatively interesting in those spinoffs um, and not make, it, not make it feel rote, I guess, is 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 the key. The good news is, is that right now we're getting one movie every five years. Obviously, the pace will hopefully quicken for Beyond the Spider-Verse. But I think as long as you're not strain, you know, strain. And I don't think this is little. I literally don't think this is possible with Sony Pictures Animation just because it's one studio doing all of the animation work so far. I mean, it's a huge studio. It's a thousand people or whatever. But I don't think you can you I don't think you can reasonably get like you know, two or three Spider-Verse movies. Not that I'm saying that they're even conceiving that, but whatever they do is hopefully creatively more rich than pumping up movie after movie after movie two or three times a year, whatever they end up doing. If they're anyway. going to stay true to, to Lord Miller, then it would be, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think... I don't think the expectation should be that they would stay true to, like, Lord and Miller's vision for the Spider-Verse. I mean, I don't mean but, their vision. I just mean their the passion and care that they clearly sure, put into yeah. the crafting of these films. That's definitely true. Ho- hopefully, Sony is comfortable with that. I mean, especially considering they're making so many other live-action Spider-Man movies. The Spider-Verse is only one component of that. There's the Venom movies. There's this... Is it... What, what is the one with... with uh, Dakota Johnson and Sydney isn't there one like Sydney Sweeney there's like so many Madam Web Madam Web yeah I think that's coming out yeah. soon um you know there's there's a lot of spiders in the fire so to speak there's a lot of spiders spinning webs out there so hopefully they're satisfied with letting letting the spider verse cook is what I'll say so we'll leave that there the other piece of news is more information about the sort of setting I guess is the way to describe it of the Ocean's Eleven prequel. I think this is a film we've talked about before. Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling are being set to star in this Ocean's uh, Eleven prequel. And we know now that it's going to be, uh, well, I think the the quote is, an old-fashioned epic love story slash adventure set during a heist on a yacht at the 1962 Monaco Grand Prix, which some parts of that I I find really awesome, uh, mainly the set in the 1960s on a yacht in the Monaco Grand Prix. That sounds like a very interesting setting for a heist uh, that, I, that I am very into. The old-fashioned epic love story component, I'm not, as, I'm not as sure about that one, Scott. I mean, maybe your mileage may vary. It is Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, so, you know, they, they could make it work. But We'll find yeah. out if they're going to make it work here next month. But um... Sure, sure. But yeah, do you, I mean, do you think again, Barbie and Ken is the epic love story that our generation has been has been seeking? I think it could be. Um, but okay. yeah, Scott, I mean, I think the the more concerning thing is Jay Roach being the person behind this, right? Um, sure. You know, comedy director, I guess. Um, you know, for the Austin Powers films and the campaign and stuff like that. Um, but more recently, took his his attention towards serious films. He made Trumbo. He made Bombshell. Um, and was fine. yeah, it was, it was fine, but it was just fine. And, and again, I, I would lump him in maybe not to such a, a hugely offensive degree, but with people like Adam McKay and, um, other, you know, examples of comedy directors who have tried to try their hands at serious films with very mixed results, um, to say the least. And so, I mean, oceans, you know, is not, this doesn't seem like it's going to be a serious film necessarily, um, 
But the old-fashioned epic love story component, like you say, that does not seem like something that is, you know, Jay Roach has, is necessarily the best person to thread that needle with. I mean, you know, it, it, I would liken it almost to um, Ocean's 8, right, with Gary Ross directing. Like, he's just kind of a, just a hired gun, right? You just bring him in. He's not going to rock the boat too much. He's just going to, you know, put out a very competent film, um, which is that's who Gary Ross is. Yeah. He's not Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. He's not going to get creative with it. And I would expect kind of the same from Jay Roach. So even though there, there are these big lofty words and ideas being used in the premise here, um, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I, th I think that the oceans franchise is another one that without its, its central creative figures involved, um, the justification for keeping it going is somewhat questionable to me, to say the least. You know that Gary Ross has four Academy Award nominations? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is crazy. What are they for? Uh, original screenplay for Big and for Dave. Okay. And then two nominations for Seabiscuit. So Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay. Because, again, Scott, again, I'm talking about the central creative people, but really what I do mean is Steven Soderbergh, right? I think that's the thing people underrate about those first three Oceans films is that, yes, you had the big splashy casts and everything, but Soderbergh was the real genius behind those movies. Um, and I think, you know, Oceans 8 was fine, but it was missing that spark. I feel like we may see the, say the same thing after we see this new one. He just knows how to do those effortless sort of you know effortlessly cool type projects when he when he wants i mean i would put the magic mike movies at least the first two i haven't seen the third one yet i put those in the same category too and um he just he can make it look so easy and out of sight obviously another film he did with clooney he can make it look so easy and that is what is so charming about those first few oceans films and i think that's going to be missing yeah i don't honestly have too much more to add than that um, I have no opinion about Jay Roach. I thought, I think I gave Bombshell like three, three and a half stars. I thought it was probably the better version of a lot of similar movies, to be honest. Um, I guess Margot Robbie likes working with Jay Roach. I guess we have to say. I don't know. Margot Robbie's in Bombshell, right? I'm not making that up. Yeah, she's she is. Yeah, she was Oscar nominated for it, I believe, or Golden Globe nominated one of the two, um, or maybe both, but. I remember there being a lot of discourse around her getting attention for that movie and not for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when people thought that was the people, including me, thought that was the more deserving role. Yeah, she got nominated for Best Supporting Actress and Charlize Theron got nominated okay. for Best Actress in so. that film. But uh, Jay Roach did not get any attention, understandably so, probably, for the awards. Yeah, I I just I don't have an opinion, I guess. I'm, I'm certainly not intrigued by the epic love story by Jay Rich. That's not, not an interesting concept for me. Frankly, no no part of the Jay Rich stuff is that interesting to me. It's not just the epic love story part. I think that you're spot on about Soderbergh. They they haven't I mean, it's a heist movie. Why can't we get a heist director? Like why can't we get someone who's like made a heist movie before to direct these damn movies? Like not not to be like gatekeepy, I guess, about who can do certain genres, but like why are we getting Jay Roach to direct this movie? Like, why did we get because, Gary Ross to direct Ocean's 8? <laughs> like, well, again, it, it's, you know, he's going to put out a competent, like, I, I don't, like, you know, Seabiscuit, Hunger Games, like this other stuff that Gary Ross has did. It's all just down the middle, right? That's like, fair. But like, but that's not as true for Jay Roach, though, I don't think. He's like doing like, your spot, I think you're you're very, very prescient. Like the, the comparison to Adam McKay is fair because he's like doing Austin Powers and like, Meet the Parents, Dinner for Schmucks. And then he's doing Bombshell now. Like, they're broad comedies going to, I don't know. But Oceans can be more comedic. I mean, you know, I would but say. But it's not it, a broad comedy, though. No, no. It is definitely a comedic, but for sure. It, it's not It's not an intense drama. Like, it's not Bombshell, right? But, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like. This is supposed to be about the about the plot of being 1952 in Monaco. He's not handling he's not handling serious subject matter though, like he is with Trumbo and Bombshell. I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. And sure, his that's history Maybe his history true. with unserious subject matter is much more consistent than his here his history with serious subject matter. That is very fair. I think that's a fair assessment of the situation.
All right, Scott, I think that should just about do it for episode 239 of Some Like It, Scott. Any parting thoughts to leave us with? Um, no, I think we said all of our, our sports stuff to, to say sure. at the start. But yeah, we're, we're really in the dog days now of the movie. Summer, I guess. Uh, things are, are a little grim at the moment, but we are, we're getting there, Scott. We're getting to July. I mean, I, we had inter- Across the Spider-Verse, which was you know really nice last week, but... Um, it was really we're gonna have to grind grind through a couple more weeks here. But. Yeah, which is weird because, you know, the film we're gonna be talking about next week is a Pixar film. It's crazy to be saying that about a Pixar movie. Um, anyway, where can people find you on socials? I am at Scarvydent, and you can find me at at Shelton two zero one three on Twitter, Letterboxd, Serialized. Don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon as well at www.patreon.com slash media plug pods if you can support us over there we'd appreciate that but if not it's okay you can still find us on apple Podcasts, spotify and wherever else you listen to your podcast where we'd love it if you rated reviewed subscribed shared all that jazz we continue to reach a broader audience we are in the final weeks of the anderson countdown i believe this morning i actually gonna get it right this week isle of dogs came out this morning our revisit of that 2018 film which we reviewed on the podcast if i remember correctly we did we did do that and so yeah, we have that one. Check that out. We have two more episodes still to come. We have the first Dispatch Revisit next week. And then a retrospective the weekend that the new film, Asteroid City, comes out. And then we will be back with a review right after that with Jay uh, on the podcast as well, giving our full thoughts on that in a couple weeks. But in the meantime, next week, we will be doing a review of the new Pixar film, Elemental. Did not get the best reviews out of the Cannes Film Festival. But, Scott, hopefully we can come together and say it will be better than Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Hopefully. So we'll hope you'll join us to find out whether we think that is true next week. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. See you down the road. Shout out Padma Lakshmi.